You know, that depicts the, um, the power of the gospel is the power to not only forgive us of sin, but also to set us free from the enslavement to sin, which is kind of what we're talking about in this series. How do I experience that in my day in and day out life so that I'm not remaining chained to those things that have affected me all of my life? Some of you are chained to your past, and the reason you're chained to your past is because in your past, somebody deeply wounded you and uh, because you refuse to forgive them and to move on from that and to heal from that, uh, you just kind of shoved it down, covered it up. You kind of let the scab grow over the wound. And uh, every once in a while, something happens and picks that scab off and reopens the wound. And now you're right back reliving everything that happened to you in the past. Some of those things that happened to you in the past in childhood may have been very, very severe. Uh, it might have been abuse. It could have been a lot of different things. Uh, but most of us maybe have not experienced severe um, trauma in your childhood. Some of you have. But we've all been wounded on some level. Hurtful words that were said to you. Uh, maybe it was by your parents. It might have been by, uh, by a coach or it may have been by kids on the playground. You know, children can be very abusive to one another uh, on the playground. And maybe some of you still have that woundedness festering inside of you all the way back in childhood. Maybe um, there's that deep-seated belief that you've always carried around. You may not even be sure how it began, but you carry it around that you're never enough. It doesn't matter what you do, uh, what you accomplish, how much success you may achieve. You just feel like you're never enough. You're never enough as a husband. You're never enough as a wife. You're never enough as a son or daughter. Uh, the, the list is endless. There might be that secret fear that you've carried around for years that you're unlovable. That's the, that's the tape recorder that keeps going over and over in your mind. You're unlovable. You're unlovable. And every time you tried to date somebody and they broke it off with you, that just reinforced what you already convinced yourself to be true. And some of you um, even went further than that. You were engaged and all of a sudden at the last minute that engagement is broken off. And now it again reinforces what you've always believed about yourself and that is you are unlovable and therefore you are damaged goods. Maybe it's the belief that you're not worthy. You're not worthy of God's love. You're not worthy of God's forgiveness. You're not worthy of God's grace. It might be the coping mechanisms that you struggle with day in and day out to try and numb your emotional pain. And there are all kinds of coping mechanisms that we deal with. The, it's the vain attempt at emotional pain management. It can be addictions, it can be smoking, it can be shopping, it can be sleeping, it can be binge watching TV, it can be a thousand different things. It is your particular way that you cope with your own pain management. And so that's just what you do. And maybe you have a long history of unbelief and distrust that affects your relationship with God and with other people. Everything you presently know, feel, and are mentally aware of has its roots in a first-time experience. Whether that experience took place in childhood or adolescence or adulthood and marriage, wherever it happened, we get wounded. We get hurt. We begin believing things about ourselves because of what others have told us or what we just uh, you know, conjecture in our mind based on our hurt and pain and how we're trying to deal with those issues in our lives. And so that tape recorder just goes on and on and on and on. Now, you can know logically, you can know intellectually, logically, that God loves you, 
that Jesus died for you and that he gave his life in your place so that you could experience the forgiveness of your sins and have new life in Christ and be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can have all the intellectual knowledge of that you want, but still not experience freedom in Christ. In fact, I'll go a step further. You can even put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, and you know that you've been forgiven, and the Bible says that God's given you a brand new identity in Christ. You are in him, and he is in you, that you have a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You, you can read about all of that stuff, and you can believe it and still not walk in freedom, and here's why. Because those issues of sin have to do with the spirit, right? So you are spirit, soul, and body. The Bible says that you and I were once spiritually dead. We needed resurrection. We needed new life. And so when we came to faith in Christ, that's exactly what God gave to us. God took our sin debt, marked it, paid in full, credited it to Jesus' account, took the righteousness of Christ, credited it to our account, so we are now holy in Christ, holy in God's sight, set apart, called for a purpose. We can know all of that stuff, and all of that has transpired. Whether you realize it or not, you are a new creation in Christ. God has brought you alive spiritually, but your woundedness has nothing to do with your spirit it has everything to do with your soul. And those are two different things. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. This is what God wants to heal. This is why Paul says the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. To save, yes. To heal. To heal us of our woundedness. And that's exactly what God intends on doing through this process we call sanctification, right? The, as we journey through this life, God wants to heal what is wounded within us so that we walk in the freedom of Christ and he wants to deliver us from those coping mechanisms that keep dragging us back into our old sinful patterns over and over and over again. And here's why this is important. is because in Christian language... Uh, you don't hear this term much anymore, but in Christian language, um, years ago, you always heard the word rededication. How many of you are familiar with that, that word in church, rededication? I rededicated my life to the Lord. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is usually it's coming around like revival time or you're in a youth camp and uh, the preacher, you know, gives a, a gospel presentation and asks anyone who wants to receive Christ in their life to come forward. And, and so maybe one person comes or two, maybe nobody comes. And then once that flow stops and he says, well, you know, maybe you're here and you know you got sin going on in your life. And how about you? Maybe you want to rededicate your life to, to the Lord and, 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 you know, start fresh and new. And, and so, you know, kids, especially in youth camp are like, yeah, man, you know, the tears are going, I'm so sorry. And they flood down and at revivals and our tears are flowing. And so we, we say that we are rededicating our lives to Christ. That's such a pesky term as far as I'm concerned. What we really mean is I've made a promise to God. I'm not going to do what I've been doing again. All right. I'm rededicating my life, Lord. I'm telling you, I've got this. I, I'm not going to do this again. I promise you, Lord, I'm not going to do this again. And a week later, we're right back doing the same thing that we just rededicated our lives for. And so then we start rededicating our rededications and rededications and, and on and on it goes. Now watch this. Over time, when nothing is changing in my life, 
I give up. I lose hope. I enter into hopelessness. And it's at this juncture that many people fall out of the faith. They say, well, you know, obviously the gospel doesn't work. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm still struggling with the same stuff. I feel shameful. I feel embarrassed. I, I, I feel so condemned coming to God over and over again about the same issues that I can't get a handle on and I can't seem to shed off of me. And therefore, I just, I, you know, you, you stop coming. You start withdrawing from church. You withdraw from your small group. And then you just stop coming as much as you used to. And now you feel weak and you feel vulnerable. You feel isolated because you are, you are, you just feel empty and desperate. And so you hide right? You try to hide from your friends. You try to hide from God. You try to hide from your church family and you just go off. And now you are a sitting duck for the evil one to do with you what it is that he desires to do, which is to steal, kill, and, and to destroy. And he can do that in multiple, multiple different ways. He can kill your dreams. He wants to buried the purpose for which God has placed inside of you. He wants to steal your sense of self-worth, and he, he wants to um, steal your confidence and your hope. He wants to destroy and erode your marriage and your relationship with your kids and, and uh, your relationships at work. And he just goes into overdrive in order to bring about this, this havoc in our lives. And now we are a mess. So you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to start withdrawing from the Lord or you're going to keep coming to church and people are going to ask you how things are going and you're going to look at them with a straight face and say, everything's great, everything's fine, even though you know you're lying. We don't want to lie in church, do we? Liar, liar, pants on fire. And so we're struggling with this. Now, and now we feel like we're just like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know who to go to. And you feel so shameful over these things. It's like, I, I just can't confide in anybody with this. They would, what would they think of me? And how would they feel about me if they really knew what I was struggling with? It's even difficult for them to even come to a pastor at this stage in their life. And when those, uh, those who do, and if they sit down with me and say, usually they're very nervous and they're always looking down, and they say something like, Pastor, you're not going to believe what's going on in my life. In fact, you're going to be awfully, you're going to be so shocked. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I, I don't, I, 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 it's all I can do to even come here and tell you about it. And they never look at me eye to eye until they start rolling it off their lips. Can I assure you, you will never tell me anything that I've not already heard, that I've already dealt with, that I've probably already done in my own life. Um, there may be a few things. You, you might shock me, but I doubt it. This is the struggle of all of us. This is not like, oh, you're a good Christian, you're a bad Christian. We all struggle with this stuff. The question is, have we learned how to take the thoughts captive and dismantle them that is driving the behavior and the feelings in order to walk in the freedom of Jesus? And so, as we said through that course of this series, is our lives are always moving in the direction of our most dominant thinking. And if you want to change your life, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to change your thoughts. Because your thoughts affect the way you feel, which ultimately affects the way that you're going to act. You want to walk in freedom. Jesus said it distinctly. You must know the truth because the truth is what's going to set you free. 
because this is an issue of the soul, it is not a matter of me saying, okay, God, I've got this problem. Take care of it for me. God's going to respond if you'll listen. I've already taken care of it. I've already given you the tools necessary to dismantle this mental fortress in your mind. You just need to put it into practice. You've got to do the hard work. If you want to be released, you've got to do the hard work. It is memory by memory, lie by lie, wound by wound, if you're going to walk in the freedom of Christ. So just as a recap, very quickly, we have to first recognize the biggest stronghold in your mind. I know you have more than one. You have multiple ones. I'm just saying, let's tackle the biggest one first. Don't try to tackle five of them at once. Just get the biggest one. You say, well, what is it? Well, just sit down and write out all the negative stuff you think about yourself when you look in the mirror all the time. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. I'll never amount to anything. I'll just get it all. Pour it all out on what I call a brain dump. Dump it all on paper because you're going to get a real strong clue as to what your stronghold is by the thoughts that you're thinking. And you're going to begin to see the lies that you're believing about yourself. And listen, if somebody, if your friend was to say to you what you've been thinking about yourself and they were to say that to you day in and day out, they wouldn't be your friend anymore. You can't get rid of you. You carry your brain everywhere you go, and that just thing is just churning. So you got to dump it out. You got to listen. You cannot change what you fail to confront, and you cannot defeat what you fail to define. If you want to defeat and tear down that stronghold, you've got to define what it is. You've got to root out the lie that is that is driving that thought process that results in a distinct pattern in your behavior. And so we want to root out the lie with lie-based thinking and replace it with truth. So the number two is you renew your mind through the word of God, all right? Only God's truth in the hands of the Holy Spirit can bring about mind renewal. Right? You, want to, you want to heal the woundedness? You'll say, well, if I've got unforgiveness towards somebody who hurt me, what's that got to do with my thought processes? Well, my, my, my response will be, well, why do you refuse to forgive them? Well, because, and you start rattling off your list. Well, let's see what God's word says about that. Because God's word, the truth that stands up against those lies you're telling yourself as the basis for not forgiving, which by the way, opens the door to Satan and having his way in your life and keeps the woundedness fresh and keeps you chained to the past. Um, God says, you know, you're, you're to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven you. And the Bible reels Reels off a lot of passages like that. Even Jesus in Matthew 18 gave a whole parable about the, the, the fact that if you fail to forgive, he will turn you over to the tempter, which means Satan's going to have his way because nothing opens a bigger door in your life for Satan to have access to your soul than through unforgiveness. That's one of the huge doors. There's others, but that's a big one. Right, so last week we said failure to renew your mind will always lead to a life of regret because you're going you're gonna to just keep going around the same circle over and over and over again. You're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to regret all those things you wish you could have done, you should have done, things that you wish were different that aren't different but could have been different. And so there's going to be um, a, a lot of regret. So the life you have is often a reflection of the thoughts that you are thinking. 
This is what we're zeroing in on, your thought processes. So here's the, the one for today, is that the third step in this whole process is you want to reframe your negative thoughts. You reframe your negative thoughts. We talked a, way, a few weeks ago about neural pathways in your brain. In other words, if you think a thought and you think that thought again tomorrow and the day after that and day after that, you're cutting a neural pathway uh, in your brain, in your thought process. It's like what I call a rut. It's a, it's a process of thinking that you, over time, will now just, you continue to think it day in and day out. In fact, 90% of the thoughts you had today are same thoughts you had yesterday and the day before and the day before, and they just, they begin to cut a neural pathway in your thought processes because once you think something over and over again, it's easier. So listen, if I get up every day and I think about myself, I'm like, yeah, I'm so worthless. I, you know, I tried yesterday and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't spend any time with the Lord. I'm so worthless. I'm such a horrible Christian. And I just, you know, tomorrow it's the same. I'm so worthless. I'm so horrible. If I keep thinking that day after day after day after day, do you ever think I'm going to get up one day and just go, you know, I'm really a worthy person. <laughs> I'm, I'm the beloved of the Lord. I, I'm the beloved of Christ. I think God's proud of me. I, I think God's glad that he saved me. I, no, you're not going to think that way. You can't think negative thoughts and be a positive person. It's just not going to happen. And so your thought processes determine a lot about the direction of your life and where you are heading in life. And so once you um, have this, um, so this is what psychologists call a cognitive bias. In other words, it just simply means you are, you are developing a mental filter and everything has to go through that filter. For example, if I think I am worthless and I'm unlovable and I, I am never enough, if I do something, let's say at work, you do something, you, you've been given a project, and let's say you hit it out of the park and people start complimenting you on the fantastic job you did, but by the time that message gets through this mental filter of I'm never enough, I'm unworthy, I'm worthless, by the time they get to the other side, you're thinking things like, well... They don't really mean it. Um, they just want something from me. Uh, they're just saying that because, you know, they, that's what they have to say. You, you can't even accept a compliment. You see how this works? This is the process. Cognitive bias is mistaken reason, reasoning based on personal experience or preferences. In other words, this is your mental framework or filter for life. So if something bad happens to you as a child, a lot of times... You have framed your thinking around that event, and then you have made, um, you look at a situation and you interpret the situation, but you may not interpret it accurately. Right? So kids are great observers. They're horrible interpreters of a situation. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, let's say, for example, you grew up in a family and your father was abusive. Whether it was physical abuse, mental abuse, whatever kind of abuse it was, you grew up in an abusive home, and so as a result of that, there's a lot of woundedness that goes on, and uh, with that woundedness comes, you, you've developed all kinds of thought processes of cognitive bias, a filter, and so you now are going to interpret life through that filter when things happen to you. So it might be that you're put in a situation where there is a person you have to work with 
that reminds you because they are the, look like your father or have the same kind of voice or maybe the same kind of mannerisms. And all of a sudden you think in your mind, you interpret their abusive person. That man is abusive. I cannot trust him. I will not get close to him. I will not work with him. No way. Or you might think that all men are abusive. You know, there are many people who, um, for example, have gone through counseling where their father was abusive and he always wore a beard. And so every man they see with a beard, they assume is an abusive male. Not necessarily that they are, but that's their interpretation because this is what they experienced early on in life. It becomes your default filter. And your brain is pre-wired to think a certain way and, um, and to interpret a situation even though the interpretation isn't completely accurate. Uh, another example would be Let's say uh, you have two people, and they work in the same place. It's the end of the year. They're getting their, their evaluation. And let's say they get this, the exact same evaluation on the exact same day by the exact same person, and the exact same thing is told to both of them. And one of them, because of a cognitive bias, that is the filter in their mind, when they hear that evaluation, uh, they may say something like, well, why are you telling that? You, you don't realize how valuable I am to this company. You just don't know how much input I have and how hard I work. And you don't think, I, I don't really appreciate this feedback that you're giving me that is negative because I, th this, I, that is not me. You don't know how much life I bring into this country, how much blood, sweat, and tears I pour into this place. They're offended because the person who evaluated them may have said several positive things, but they gave them some negative feedback. But now you have another person who gets the exact same feedback, some positive, some negative, and they respond in a totally different way. They, they may say, well, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. I, I've always wanted to do my job better than I'm, I'm doing, and I was wondering how I was doing. I'm so grateful you were honest with me and gave me you know, positive feedback as well as the negatives. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I, I do better in this area of mine. And so their, their response is totally different. It's the same thing is true in churches. You know, People who come and visit our church, based on their cognitive bias, their interpretation of what happens here can be totally different. They, they're going to experience the exact same worship service, and one of them is going to say, well, you know what? I'm just convinced, after having been at First Baptist Groveport, that all Christians are uh, hypocrites. Uh, the music was terrible. The preaching was terrible. This place is stupid. I'm never coming back again. Where the, another person with the same experience might say something, well, you know, the music was fabulous, uh, the, the message was inspiring, man, the people were so loving and so kind, I can't wait to come back. Happens all the time. This is why it's so important. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. Have you ever found yourself... Um, you wanted something in life, but right now you are experiencing the exact opposite of what it is you wanted. I mean, maybe you're in a place in life where you thought, you know what, by this time I thought I would be further along in my career. I thought I would be married. I, I, I thought I would be making more money. I thought, I, you know, and so you had all these, these you know, aspirations and these desires. And, but now reality says, but you've not acquired, you've not reached any of that and it's the exact opposite. So how are you going to see that? How are you going to view that? How are you going to respond to that? That depends upon 
your cognitive bias and how you frame it. So what do I mean? I want to give you an example right out of the Bible from the Apostle Paul. So go to Philippians chapter 1. Um, we know that Paul and his writings and from the book of Acts, I've been, as I've shared with you before, I've been reading through the book of Acts, finished it up this morning. And Paul had, uh, you know, Paul loved the Lord. He really did. And he was zealous for the church. He wanted to see people, see people get saved. And he loved starting churches. He loved growing up leaders and encouraging believers to, to walk in the freedom of Christ and all those things. But God had always put on his heart, he felt a burden to go to Rome in order to preach the gospel. He felt like if I could just get to Rome and preach the gospel there, it will plant the seed that will spread the gospel over the entire known world. That was his desire. That, that's what he longed to do. That's what he was moving towards. I mean, this was a part of, uh, you know, his prayer list that right at the top of his prayer list and uh, he could just get the gospel. It was, it was on his bucket list. It was his dream. But instead of going to Rome to preach, he ends up in Rome as a prisoner awaiting trial before Caesar, who the Caesar at that time was Nero, who was notorious for persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. And so he's awaiting trial. He's on house arrest for two years, facing possible execution. The exact opposite of what he wanted, he longed for, he desired, he believed God for. Now, the question is, how is he going to respond to this situation? How is he going to frame this in his heart and his mind based on his own personal experiences. Remember, when Paul was carrying the gospel, you can read in 2 Corinthians his list. I mean, the guy was beaten many times, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. I mean, you name it. I mean, floggings, all this stuff. And here he is. He's wanting to go to Rome, preach the gospel. And now he's there as a prisoner. And Paul could have framed the situation in one of two ways. He could have framed it on the negative side. And he, here's what he would have said. And this comes from the uh, NWH version, the New Whiners version. He could have said, now I, I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of all the hell I've been through, I'm quitting my small group and I'm never going back to church again. Right? That, that could have been his response. That could have been how he framed it. Like, man, I trusted God for all this, thought it was going to happen, didn't happen. I, I'm done. I'm out. By the way, in case you're wondering, there is no such version, so don't go out and tell people there's. But this is, here's what exactly what he says. Now, in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, my, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. Here's what Paul was saying in essence. He said, listen, they got me on house arrest. They got me chained. And, you know, I, I'm in here. They got a guard with me 24-7. Every eight hours, I get a new guard. Guess what I get to do for eight hours with every guard they bring to me? I share Jesus with them. For eight hours, they got to listen to Paul. They got nowhere else they can go. They, they can't leave him there alone. They can't, uh, you know, 
take the chance that he's going to escape because if you're a Roman guard and your prisoner escapes, you're, you know, off with your head. And so they have to listen to Paul. And as a result in scripture, as, an, as a result, many of these guards are getting saved and they're taking the gospel into the Roman culture. And as a result of that, God is spreading the gospel across Rome and throughout the entire known world. Not because Paul got there as he thought he would, but because God God took a horrible situation, and by the way, on his way to Rome, he had to experience a shipwreck. He was bitten by a viper. Everybody thought he was going to die on the island of Malta, and he didn't die. And so as a result of all of the chaos that he went through, God shares, spreads the gospel like, like wildfire. And so I love what Paul says, I'm proclaiming the gospel. And those around me, man, I'm, I'm firing up the troops to be even more bold and to share it without fear. That's how he framed it. Jack Canfield wrote a book several years ago called The Successful, the Successful Principle. And he's not a believer, but I, I don't think, I don't know, maybe he is. But anyways, he, here's, here's how he put what Paul said, event plus response equals outcome. Whatever the event is, how you frame it, how you respond to it will determine the outcome of that more than anything else. Paul could have gotten angry and bitter and resentful and then shut down and shut up, but instead he reframed this and said, you know what, this is a God-given opportunity for me. I'm sharing the gospel with Roman soldiers. I get one, a new one every eight hours. And the gospel was going out and people were becoming fearless in sharing the gospel. And by the way, it was while Paul was in prison that he wrote several books in the New Testament. So here's the principle. You cannot control what happens to you. But you can control how you frame it. And how you frame it will determine the outcome more than anything else. So uh, I want to bring Dawn up, and she is going to come and share a little bit about her story. And what she, I know you can't read anything on this board, um, but she's going to read it to you and share with you some of this. Probably not the whole thing, but um, I've asked her to come and share a little bit about what she experienced in her own life. And then how these steps in this process of, you know, okay, what are my strongholds? What am I, what am I thinking about? What are the negative thoughts? And she's written these down. And, you know, what, what are things other people have said? What did I think on my own? What has God said? What's God's truth that combats the lies that I've been believing? And so how do I reframe this and what God's doing in my life? So, Don, come on up. Give her a round of applause. She's... taking a brave step here. You ain't kidding. Let me get my stuff out of your way. Most of you, I think, know me. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yep. Most of you, I think, know me. I've been coming here for a little while. I uh, very much believe the Lord led me here for a reason, so I've grown a ton since I've been here. Um, but kind of what led me here was uh, another failed relationship. A um, little backstory. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic, abusive home. Um, been married several times. Uh, survived a 10-year domestic violent marriage. 
Um, raised my kids mostly on my own. Um, been a string of bad choices in my life. Um, 2016, after my relationship failed again, uh, I basically put a stake in the ground. I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done making my choices. I'm done trying to live my life how I think I should live it. Um, I need you to guide me and to lead me where I need to go. Um, I joined a group at my old church called Heal from the Inside Out. Um, the woman that led the group um, was also a survivor of a plethora of abuse. Um, and she worked with women who had been through abuse to help them heal from their traumas. Um, she then became my life coach, which was a, 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 a change in my life. It was a complete 180 for me. Um, she was able to walk me through a lot of the stuff that I had been through and look at it in a different light. Um, henceforth, I came to Greg a couple of weeks ago and I said, okay, I did this in my healing journey and I was telling him about it and he was asking me to, he asked me to bring this in and um, to share it with you guys. So to begin with transformation, <laughs> it doesn't just happen and then go away. Um, what I've experienced in my own journey is that it is a lifelong process. Um, once you heal from one trauma, something else comes up and then something else comes up and then something else comes up. So it's kind of a lifelong process. Um, what you see up here is in, one, in, my, in my Heal From The Inside Out group, um, we had to lay on the floor with a partner and they traced our body. Now you can't really see it on that, it's really hard to see. Um, and then we put this on the wall and we had three different colors of markers. One marker represented the lies that people have told us. One marker color represented the lies that we have told ourselves or that we've believed. And the third marker represents um, the truths that God says about us. Um, and I've struggled a lot this not cry with myself and what I believe about myself so this for me was huge so when I wrote down the lies that people have told me and the lies that I believed and then the big bold like pinkish purple on there is the truths that God has told me I sat in front of this and just wept because it was for me. I was able to see all the stuff that I believed, but to really see how God saw me. That was life-changing for me. So um, just a few of the things that are up here. Um, that I'm a mess. I was told I was a mess. Um, and I changed it and put I'm a beautiful mess because I'm God's beautiful mess. Um, that I'm useless that I'm unimportant, that I'm not pretty enough, not worth fighting for. And all of those then, I, we, I rearrange. So um, I am worthy and I am lovable and I am beautiful and I'm never alone. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but the Lord can take, he can make beauty out of ashes. So all of these things were things that I had to work through, like step by step to get to where I am. Now, I think I've grown tremendously. Every day, I feel like I have more growth to do. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to also say was in the course of this program, I feel like part of my mission is to help other people who have been through what I've been through, to encourage them, to tell them to keep pressing forward, um, 
And even though there are things that may trip you up again in your journey, to not let those take you down. Um, so if you guys have your Bibles, turn to um, Isaiah 61. And we're going to do verses 1 through 7. And this has kind of become my, my journey for what I want. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers, strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God, you will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. That last verse, chapter 7, is all starred and underlined and highlighted in my Bible because that that's where I needed to be when I heard this. Instead of my shame, I will receive a double portion. So this journey of transformation is not easy. Not only do you work through the things that have been done to you or said to you by others, but also the things that you say to yourself. So every day that you listen to those voices, you redirect them. That's when you say, in the name of Jesus, all listen. So when you are in those moments and you have those thoughts, and you need to switch them, just call out to Jesus. He will help you transform those thoughts. So I have a couple questions for you. So when you were uh, in the process of, so I, I'm taking it this is what you, these are the things that people so said the gray, about you. The, the, the lighter gray is the, um, the lighter gray is the things that people have told me. Okay. Um, the blue. Um, so this is, is what the word of God. The word of God, and then, and then purple, the purple is is the beliefs that I have told myself. Okay. So you have both of those working in conjunction. I, I wanted you to kind of catch that. You know, you have things that people told you. Um, you have things that you thought on your own. You, you know where those. You know what the source of that is. Right? That's the evil one, right? Satan always talks in third person because he wants you to think you're thinking this. But he's the one who's feeding your mind. Um, and so he's constantly bombarding you in your mind, uh, which is why the truthfulness of God's word is so, so essential to, to um, confront the lie. So when you started looking at the truth of God's word that was confronting what you were believing about yourself, how did you go about finding these? Um. Definitely going into his word um, and finding all of the things that he says about us. Um, Psalms 139, where it talks about how we were fearfully made. God made me. He knew what my journey was going to be. He knew all the stuff that I was going to go through even before I did. 
He knew that he would pull me through it. He knew that I would use it as a tool to help other people. Amen. So, um, any questions? May I have a question for her? I'll put her on the spot. Well, thank you very much. Let's give her a round of applause. Um, that's incredible. I just want to make um, a couple closing statements for you because I know some of you who have the gift of administration, if I don't fill out that outline, you're going to be all wigged out. So here's some tools for reframing uh, very quickly. One is um, you want to thank God for what didn't happen, right? In, in, in light of all that happened to Dawn, there are a lot of things that didn't happen. And so, you know, sometimes we get so focused on what has happened to us, and, and so that begins to develop negative thoughts that people told us and things that we're thinking and Satan's feeding to us, um, you know, when I, the beautiful thing, I, I, I love what she said about this, is that God has, has take, allowed her to go through all of this, but he has, what is he going to do with it? He's going to use her to help others go through the same process. He turned what was um, devastating and what was hurtful and what was painful, and he turned it into something beautiful. Because now she will be used of the Lord to help many others go through this process and experience the freedom of Christ. So uh, even the Apostle Paul, you know, he, he, in spite of all that happened to him, he was grateful for what didn't happen, right? It could have been a whole lot worse. It could have been, but what God did through all the painful events of his own life, and there were many, is that God, again, he began um, this tapestry, uh, a beautiful picture of what the Lord is doing inside the heart and the life of Dawn and what the Lord was doing in the heart and life of the Apostle Paul and what he wants to do inside of you. And um, so the second thing is you want to practice pre-framing. And what I mean by that is that let's say, for example, you know you're going to face an overwhelming day, right? And, and if you're naturally negative and you're naturally having gravitating towards negative thoughts, what, what, do you, what do you think in your mind? Oh, it's going to be a horrible day, and nothing's going to go right, and, nothing, yeah, and we, we go on down the, the, the road with that. But if I think as God thinks of me, and what God wants to do in and through me, then I can pre-frame and say, you know what, this is going to be an incredible day, because this is the day the Lord has made, his mercies are new every day, God has a plan and a purpose for my life this day, and I can just start rattling off things like that. So I'm pre-framing my day, or maybe you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, and rather than thinking, oh, they're going you know, to hate me, and, I, and you know, it's going to turn out bad, it's going to turn out horrible, how about if you pre-frame that and say, you know what, this is a brother or sister in Christ, God loves them, we need to have this conversation, and I just know that God's going to work in it and pre-frame that conversation before you ever get to it. And here's the last one, just as a suggestion. Look for God's goodness. Always look for God's goodness. You know, this past year has been a very difficult year for everybody, right? We had the COVID thing going on, and with all that, the masks and lockdowns and closing churches and businesses and unemployment and the growing awareness of racial tension in our country and the political divide became very deep in our country. It was a very, very difficult year. So where can we find the goodness of God even in the midst of all of that? 
Well, that's one of the things I, I, I focused on the, the beginning of this year. Like, Lord, you know, this past year has been really difficult. It's been really tough. Where's the goodness of you in all of this? And God gave me three words that I think I've shared before. I'll just reiterate. And one is the word rest is that God says, I'll tell you, show you where my goodness was. I got families to slow down and to figure out what was really important in life. You know, we, we can be so, so busy and our schedules and calendars so overfilled that we're really missing out on life and what is really important in life. And God says, I'll, I'll slow you down. <laughs> I'll help you weed out what's really important, what's a really of a priority in your life. And um, so we had to slow down, right? We began to realize, here's what's important. Let's slow the pace, and let's just rest in the Lord while we have the chance. And then there was the word reflection. It was a time for me to, um, as I look back, to thank God for the opportunities that I had to serve in areas I would not otherwise have had had there not been a pandemic. And so God gives you opportunities even in the midst of even the worst of times. And then the last word was the word restoration, the restoration of my soul. I had more time to be alone with the Lord than I'd ever had in, in a long, long time. And just like drinking from the, the well of living water from the Lord Jesus Christ, enabling me for my well to go deeper and deeper and deeper and be more and more filled with the water of life and to walk in closeness of, with the Lord and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit as he gives guidance. Those, those are just some of the, 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 you know, the, the tip of the iceberg of the things that I thought, you know what, here's the goodness of God even in the worst of situations, and here's the goodness of God even in the worst of Don's situations. The Apostle Paul, you read the, the worst stuff in his life, but yet God always used it in a way that forwarded the gospel and the power of the gospel in people's lives. And that's what we want to do as individuals. That's what we want to do as a church. I just want you to be free. Again, my life's calling is to help people find for forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to be alive spiritually, but I also want you to be healed in your soul from the woundedness and the hurt and the pain that you've been carrying around with you and to be delivered from that so that you're not chained to past hurts, but you are walking now in truth and freedom. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts better than we are willing to admit. And so this morning, um, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take a deep dive into the recesses of our hearts. And to those areas of our life that we have hidden from you or we thought we've hidden from you and we've kind of shut the door on you and not allowing you to have access in various areas of our lives because, quite frankly, it's just too painful. And so, Father, we admit we have tried to suppress those things. We, we've tried to hide them. We've tried to avoid them. We do everything in our power to to keep from dealing with these very deep, painful issues in our lives. But Lord, you, you, you desire to, to set us free. Jesus came so that we could shatter the chains that bind us to our hurt and our pain. And Lord, we are reminded today in your, your word and through Don's testimony here that it's, 
it's not an easy process. And so, Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, um, God, just, just convict us, Lord. Just, just keep driving at us to deal with these areas and issues of our lives and, and not to go another day or another week or another month or a year with the same old, same old, but, Father, that we could experience, just have a taste of the freedom and the healing that you desire to bring. God, we know that once we've had a taste of that, we then we begin to develop a, an insatiable desire for that in other areas of our lives. God, we want the church to be healthy. We want the church to be whole. We want the church to be hopeful. And we know the power of the gospel can enable us to experience all of those things. Lord, I pray that in during this process for those who are really going to take this seriously and are going to dive into this. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you give them wisdom, that you give them direction, that you open up their eyes to see where it is uh, that the enemy has built a fortress in their minds and the lies that that fortress is built upon. That Holy Spirit, that you would expose those lies and God, that you would give them truth will stand up against those lies and enable them to reframe, Lord, what it is they've experienced and how you can leverage that for your kingdom's purposes, that you can bring beauty out of ashes. Lord, we, we love you. We adore you. You know that. But Lord, we don't want to just, in a vain way, just spout off our, our sins and our problems and but yet have no intention behind them to, to deal with those issues. I don't, Father, I, I pray against Satan who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy by bringing hopelessness into the hearts and the lives of your people. So, Lord, I, I pray that Holy Spirit will, will bring a new, profound sense of hope that this can happen, this can change, this can be healed. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who need to receive Jesus as a Savior, Lord of their life, who need to experience, Father, um, rebirth. They need to move from death to life. They need to experience the resurrection power of Christ. May today be the day they put their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus and him alone for the payment of their sin. Receive him to be Savior and Lord of their lives. Thank you, Father, for this house of God that you have given to us to gather as a church family and to celebrate you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.